Our reading this morning is Philippians 3, verses 13 through 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our preacher, our, our I don't know what you want to call him, our, our, our head preacher, not really. Our preacher is out of town. Um, he is up north, and he will be back in a few days, but, but he is, uh, is at a lectureship, and he's speaking at it. Eddie is uh, up there doing a, a wonderful job, we know, but we need to continue to keep him in our prayers as he travels back home and, and as he enjoys this time. If you would, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be landing on that in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at a few scriptures from Hebrews to begin with. The first, the, oh, now we got it. The first, it scared myself. I don't know if that's the way that's supposed to work or not. Hebrews chapter 2, if you didn't hear, hear the beginning of that. The first uh, car accident that I was in, I was 16 years old. I was not driving. Daryl Forbes was driving his dad's car. We were up in Washington State. Uh, that's, where I, that's where we were living. He picked me up and we went to the store. And as we got into the car from going to the store, from being in the store, a song came on the radio. And I had never heard it. And I have never heard it since. Um, it's called, You Dropped a Bomb on Me, Baby. And uh, he got real excited because he really loved the song. And so as he's driving, the, we're on a, he decides to take the scenic route uh, back home to his house. And so we're on a curvy, hilly road going down into the valley from the Renton Highlands. And he's dancing to this song, You Dropped a Bomb on Me. And we decided that, you, that we needed more bass because it's all about the bass, right? No treble. It's all about the bass. We decided that we needed more bass, and so we were trying to figure out how to get this radio to put more bass out. And we both were working together on this, on a curvy road at a high rate of speed, when we realized that we might not be in the right lane. And we looked up, and there was a Jeep coming at us. And so Daryl hit the brakes, slid, and we went into a ditch on uh, my side. And all I saw was dirt coming by, mud coming by. Uh, it was a little bit wet outside. And so that was the first accident that I was in. It wasn't the last accident, but that was the first one. It wasn't my fault, kind of. I could have encouraged him to, 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 to let me work the stereo, but he insisted. A lot of us have had the experience of drifting out of our lane, drifting maybe onto the, onto the shoulder while we're driving. A lot of us have had that experience. It's a scary reminder of how, it, how important it is to keep our focus on the road. And then we think about our world, our nation, and as we are Christians go through this road, through this, through this life on this road to heaven, it's easy to lose our focus on the Lord. It's easy to lose our focus on His church. It's easy to lose our focus on each other, the members of His body. 
And when we do lose our focus, as we're trying to read the road signs of life and deal with other distractions, maybe, of life, we might find ourselves in trouble. We might find ourselves in a ditch. We might find ourselves not on the way to heaven, but, but sideswiped. And when Jesus returns in judgment, if we're in that situation, we're not going to be one of the souls that gets to go to heaven for eternity with Him. We, we, we will be unprepared. We don't want to find ourselves in that situation at all. Never. And so we, we read about Christians in the New, in the New Testament in the first century struggling. We've been studying 1 Corinthians uh, for, for our adult quarter this, this, this quarter for our adult classes. And we're, we're reading about a struggling church. In Galatians 1.6 it reads, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a, a different gospel. These Christians are struggling and, they, and they're listening to other people talk, talk about other things ba- rather than talking about Jesus. They were listening to other voices and they could not be claiming to speak for God. We as Christians might lose our focus on the Lord at times, get sideswiped or, or, or go off the road, end up in a ditch because we might have the wrong priorities in our lives. We might have a ton of distractions. We might have all kinds of things going on that would keep us from being on the right road. So we're in Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And we're going to think about, as we read these verses from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, think about this idea of focusing, of staying on the road, of paying attention. Hebrews 2, verse 1 reads, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed in the New King James, or other translations, pay closer attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? You think about this, at any given time, at any given time we're in danger of being distracted from what the word of God says, by listening to the world around us. At any given time, we're in danger of, lo- of, of, of losing our soul's salvation. At any given time, at any given time, we're in danger of drifting out of our lane or drifting away from our salvation at any given time. And sadly, way too many times, too many Christians end up in a ditch with their faith wrecked because they got distracted by living in this world. And so, what do we do? What do we do to help our focus? What do we do to help us focus on the one thing that matters most in life? What what will help us to keep our eyes on the road to eternal life? What do we do? How do we help that? Well, we were in Hebrews chapter 2. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12 and read a few verses from 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12. And it reads, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. Some of our translations say, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. NIV and New American Standard. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus. It goes on to say, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Turning our eyes upon Jesus. We sing a song in the songbook. It's just, it's just the chorus of the song, by the way, called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. When we sing that, we're just singing the chorus of the song as it's written. But that's all we have. But the idea is that we are going to focus on Christ, to fix our eyes upon Christ, to look at Christ at all times. Turning, turning our eyes upon Jesus. And this morning I want to mention a few reasons that we might do that. A few reasons that we might turn our eyes upon Jesus. And the first, the first reason is because this world is a dangerous place to live in spiritually. This world is a dangerous place. And why would I say that? Well, you think about who's in control and the, and the state that the world is in. Who's in control? 1 John 5, 19. Listen, we, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway or the power of, or control of the wicked one. We know we're of God. The whole world lies under the power of the wicked one. It's a dangerous place. Galatians 1, 3 and 4. Grace to you, peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So we have a world lying under the control of the wicked one. This present evil age 2 Corinthians 4.4 reminds us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why is this world a dangerous place? It's under control of the wicked one. It's, it's an evil age that we're living in. It's a dangerous place spiritually. And we are surrounded in this world we're surrounded by blind walkers. Spiritually blind walkers. Why would I say that? Well, because the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. I read about a study that was done. Uh, it's been done several times. So I, I think the first one that I read about was in the 20s. And this man took, took a man out, into, out, out onto a, a large field and he put a blindfold on him, and he said, walk in a straight line. That's what I want you to do, just walk in a straight line. So this man started walking, and there's a map of, of, of his route that he took, and he starts walking, and his first few steps are straight, and then he starts veering off to the right. And he continues to veer off to the right for a while, and he goes a little bit straight, and then he starts moving again to the right. And eventually he does, he does a kind of a big circle. He does some loops. And then he finally runs into a tree stump that is behind him where he started, from where he started. Other, other experiments were done along the same vein with people always going around, and sometimes to the left, but for the most part, the maps that I saw were to the right. They did it with a swimmer as well, blindfolded him and said, swim from shore to shore, across, straight across from shore to shore. And he started going in circles and got into tiny circles swimming, thinking that he was going straight. We're wired 
to, move, to, to cast about, the way that our minds are wired, when we don't know where we're going, we're wired to cast about in circles. But when we're blindfolded or blinded, that's the way we move. We just move randomly, not in a straight line, just randomly, sometimes in circles, sometimes in curved, in, in arches. But the point that I'm trying to make is that the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers and they are spiritually blind walkers. This world is a dangerous place because Satan is in control of the world. It's a present, it, it is an evil age and there are blind walkers all over the place that might get in our way. They, 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 the, world, if they're full, the world is full of spiritually blind walkers. We need to avoid collisions with them and we need to make sure that we never follow in their footsteps. We have Matthew 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 that tells us about the narrow way, the wide way, the easy way, the difficult way. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it by it are many, and they are blind, and they are wandering around aimlessly. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Paths, at any given time, in, our, in this walk that we're on, in this narrow road that we're trying to stay on, at any given time, we can be distracted by a blind walker, a spiritually blind walker, at any given time. And they might cross our path, we might run into them. We might fall into their footsteps, get, get off our trail and onto theirs. But we need to learn to, just like we drive defensively, we need to learn to navigate defensively, looking out for the blind walkers going the wrong way. And that's why we need to turn our eyes on Jesus. Because the world is a dangerous place. And we need to learn to, to, to avoid those obstacles. And we do that by turning our eyes on Jesus. We also do that because Jesus is the right direction. Jesus is the right direction. How do you get to heaven? You, you go through Jesus. You know, th th there are directions, and then there's a direction. There are directions, and there's a direction. The, the, here, here's some directions. If you want to get to Never Never Land, how do you do it? You, you take the second star to the right straight on till morning. That's what Peter tells Wendy. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me because I, I won't go to Never Never Land. But if I want to get to somewhere, somewhere out of the way now, today, in today's day and age, I can take my phone, get the GPS going, and find some out-of-the-way place that I wouldn't have been able to find without it. I can follow those directions. But we want to get to heaven. We want to get to heaven. Jesus is the right direction. Only one direction to heaven, and that's through Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the direction, John 14, 6. Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name by which we must be saved. Just Jesus. He's the way. John 10, 7. Jesus says to his, to his followers, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep. God wants us in heaven. Jesus wants us in heaven. He is the direction. And for, and I just, I picture this, um, with us as his, as, as him being our father and us being our, his children trying to walk to him. And a parent, when their child is learning to walk, the parent will get down on the level of the child, hold out the hands, and that parent at that moment is the direction. 
that that child needs to go. Christ is our direction in this walk that we are, that we are taking. Christ is our direction. He's the right direction as we learn to walk in this world. So the world's a dangerous place. Jesus is the right direction. We, look, we keep our eyes, turn our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the perfect example to follow. We need desperately in this world good examples. We, we just don't have enough good examples. And spiritually speaking, we need good examples. We need good examples. When we did several quarters ago for our adult classes, we talked about the family. And some of the st- statistics that I threw out, that I found in, in one of our classes, was talking about a, a study about church attendance and children remaining faithful. And they found that if mom and dad raised their kids with both parents going faithfully to services, and that means faithfully to all the services and the classes that are offered, 72% of those children will remain faithful. If just the dad goes to class and services on a consistent basis, and and the children go with him, 55% will remain faithful. If just the mother goes and takes the children with her all the time, 15% will remain faithful. And if the kids are trying to go on their own, 6% will remain faithful. We need examples We need examples. We need our parents to be examples and we need to be examples for for them and and we need good examples. Good examples are hard to come by. Bad examples are not. I didn't ask permission to talk about this, so I'm not going to use any names. I will say that the aid that that this happened um, to one of my children. We noticed at one point that one of my children had become very adept at smoking. And I don't, I don't mean smoking cigarettes, smoking pretzel sticks. And I don't mean lighting them. They didn't really light them. They just went through the motions of smoking. And they were very good at it, very realistic. Um, putting the, the, the pretzel stick in their mouth and doing other things while it's dangling there, just like a real cigarette. And, and then taking it out while they're talking and then flicking imaginary pretzel ashes on the, on the floor. I, and you're watching it, and, and, and you're kind of getting a little, a little antsy because where did they learn this skill? And it is, I mean, it, it looks real. Because they didn't learn it from me. I don't smoke pretzels. <laughs> Amy doesn't. But they did learn it from Lucy. Lucy. I love Lucy. Lucy lit up all the time when, at home, and Ricky did too, but Lucy did. And so the example is set for that smoking is something you do all the time, and, and, and this child learned to mimic, by a bad example, learned to mimic smoking. Good examples are hard to come by. Jesus is the ultimate, is the perfect example to follow. If we're looking for an example in life, we've got to look at Jesus first. John 1, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him 
ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We read this morning in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, that Paul says, be imitators of me or imitate me as I am of Christ. He imitates Christ. We imitate him because he is imitating Christ as his example. 1 Peter 2.21 For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then in John 13.15 when Jesus finished washing his disciples' feet, he makes this statement, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He is the ultimate example, the perfect example. That's why we watch him closely. We fix our eyes upon him. We turn our eyes on him and leave our eyes on him because he is the perfect example for us. We won't pick up bad habits. We will learn servitude. We will learn compassion. We will learn commitment. We will learn obedience through watching the perfect example of all of those things. He's the perfect example. He's the right direction. And the world is a dangerous place. And finally, we turn our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our goal. Well, wait a second. Isn't our goal to get to heaven? Yeah. But Jesus is our goal. Why, why would I say that? Well, We want to be with Him for forever. We will be with Him in heaven, but we want to be with Him for forever. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. We want that. That's our goal. John 14.3 And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and also take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. We want that. That's our goal. We want to go to heaven. We will be with Jesus forever. Well, where is he in heaven? Scripture is very clear about where he is. Several passages, and, and I won't read them all, but several passages point to him being at the right hand of God, Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us there at the right hand of God. 1 Peter 3.22, he's gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Angels, authorities, and powers have been uh, subjected to him. He's at the right hand of God ruling. He's interceding for us. He's at the right hand of God of the power of God, Luke 22.69. And Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, he is in a place of authority, a place of power, and we want to be with him for forever. Well, what does that mean for us as far as in relation to this place of power? Well, I want to point you to Revelation. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. We know from Scripture that we will be with Him forever. We know where He is sitting at the right hand of God, and that's where He will remain. But Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. 21. The one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. We'll be with God for forever. We'll be with Christ for forever. Sitting with Him at God's right hand. He's our goal. We look to Him because He's our goal. He's our destination. We will be in heaven with each other and with God and with Christ. We will be in heaven, yes, with Christ. He is our goal. He's our example. He is the right direction. And He is safety in a, danger, in a dangerous world. The world is a dangerous place. Jesus is the only direction. He's the ultimate example. And He's our goal. In your songbooks, I told you about this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It's 983. I could read it to you or we can sing it together and, and I think we, we can sing it together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Turning our eyes upon Jesus for our safety, for our direction, because He's our goal, He's our example. I told you about that first wreck that we had that, that with Daryl. One of the dilemmas that Daryl and I had to face was going home and telling his dad why his car had been wrecked. What we were doing. We had to do that. We had to come clean. We had to admit to his dad what we were doing that caused that wreck that we were in. It was a difficult thing and we came up with all kinds of lies and all kinds of excuses. But it came down to this. We had to walk in and explain to him that we were messing around and not paying attention to what we needed to be paying attention to. We were distracted, and that caused, that, that caused the accident. One of the most difficult things for a person to do spiritually is to own up to their sins, to admit, yes, I did this. Yes, I got myself into this situation. Yes, I am a sinner. All, ha all of us have to admit that we, were, that we are sinners. And it's difficult to do. It's difficult for a person to do, to admit that and to accept it. But if you're not a Christian, you're a sinner and you haven't been forgiven. We've all sinned, but some of us have been forgiven. If you're not a Christian and you understand where you are and where you need to be and where you're not and the situation that you're in, then take care of it. If you understand that you're being separated from God, but you can be reconciled to God through Christ, that He's the only way to God, only way to heaven, and you're ready to repent of your sins and confess Christ before men and put Him on, on in baptism, then let us know about that. It's difficult for a Christian to say, I wasn't looking at Christ. 
I wasn't keeping my eyes on Jesus. It's difficult for a Christian to say, I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing, and that's why I wrecked. But sometimes we've got to say that, and we've got to ask for forgiveness. And as a Christian, if you're in that situation and you need to repent of anything uh, that, that's keeping you away from God, keeping you that has distracted you, and you need to get back to God, we can help with that, and we can pray for you, we can pray with you, and we can rejoice with you when you come back. If you need to come forward for any reason, let us know now as we stand and as we sing.